Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. This is the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, and I'm your host, Ugo Chay. I had a great conversation with this week's uh, guest, Doug Kay. I've actually been following Doug Kay for, uh, for a few years now, and it was great to, to talk to him for the first time. I really enjoyed uh, his personality, and uh, we also got to meet uh, in Venice a few days after this interview, meet face-to-face, I mean. So I guess we can now call each other friends. So we talked with Doug about his uh, trips to Cuba, his upcoming workshops that he's doing there. Some of the workshop is dedicated to exploring that fantastic country. I hope you will uh, enjoy it as well as I did. If you like the show, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes. And you can find all the show notes and links for this episode at ttim.photo slash 24. Now enjoy my conversation with Doug Kay. So my guest today is a person I've been following for many years, uh, not only uh, in the the realm of photography, but also in a previous life as we were chatting before, we mentioned the fact that we are both uh, in in the computer industry, in IT. Well, actually still I am, and my guest Doug Kay I think, uh, Doug, you are retired, so you're dedicating yourself completely to photography nowadays. Is that correct? That is correct. I am a, I'm a, I am a recovering technologist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still addicted to technology. <laughs> so uh, I would like to, to welcome Doug Kay to, to this show. I'm, uh, I'm very honored and pleased to have you here. Would you like to introduce yourself for the few people who still don't know who Doug Kay is. Okay, yes. My name is Doug Kay, and uh, I am a, uh, a photographer. I have been uh, retired from technology for a number of years. Uh, I focus these days on street photographer, and I'm also the host of the All About the Gear podcast on the TWIP network. And you do a bit of travel? I do. I do. I uh most people know me from my Cuba workshops. I've made five trips there so far. I've got three more coming up uh, in the next 12 months. Uh, and then I do uh, I do some personal travel as well. I'm going to Paris twice this year and uh, also to Italy, where I'll be in your neck of the woods, and to Barcelona. Yeah, we'll see if it's uh, maybe possible to, to meet up while you're in Italy. We'll, uh, we'll see. If it comes up, it will be nice. So you mentioned Cuba. And this is my, um, the main reason why I wanted to, to talk to you because uh, Cuba is uh, so much in the in the news nowadays with all the with all what's happening with the normalization kind of normalization of the relationship with the U.S. So, can you tell us a bit about your uh, about Cuba and about your workshops there and why is it such a great place? Yeah, of course, it's Cuba is completely different for Americans than it is for everybody else in the world. Uh, So we'll have to keep that in mind as we discuss it. But uh, I started going there a number of years ago, uh, primarily out of curiosity. You know, it's very close to the U.S. It's only 90 miles from the tip of Key West, Florida. 
So it's technically very easy to get to. Uh, it's just politically sometimes difficult. It's gotten a lot easier since mid-December of last year uh, when President Obama opened up a lot of the restrictions. But it is, um, it's a fascinating place. Cuba is a place that in 1959 decided to go in a different direction than the rest of the world. And therefore, parts of it are literally frozen in time to 1959. Of course, everybody knows about the old American cars from the 1950s. But it's also a place that's had relatively little maintenance done, relatively few changes since 1959. uh, And that's what makes it so fascinating. So for us Europeans, getting to Cuba was never much of of a problem. But for you Americans, because of the embargo and so on, um, that was a, a bit more difficult. So what is the situation now? What Do you still need to, uh, to uh, satisfy particular requirements to go to Cuba as an American citizen? Yeah, there are a number of issues. There, the embargo was originally done through a presidential action, which meant that the president of the U.S. could have changed it. And then at some point, it was passed into law by our legislature. And once the embargo was made law, then the president had few things he could do. But Obama's come along and said, well, although the law requires you to have this license from the United States Treasury Department, you're now going to be able to use what's called a a more general license, which means you don't have to actually have a printed piece of paper that says you have a license. You simply have to say, oh, I'm traveling under the rules of the license. So it's basically sort of like a, a don't ask, don't tell. And that is that if you uh, if you go to Cuba and you come back and you say you followed the rules, that's actually good enough. Mm-hmm. However, we still do not have from the U.S. scheduled airline flights. The only flights you can take from the U.S. are charter flights, and that makes it much more complicated and more expensive. So many Americans have in the past and still will fly from the U.S. to Toronto or uh, Grand Cayman or Cozumel and will take flights from those cities, those countries into Cuba uh, and then the same on the return. Uh, We're looking at uh, this year and sometime in 2016, we expect there will be regularly scheduled flights from New York, Miami, Los Angeles directly to Havana. But right now, Uh, You can only book those through a charter company. Should a Republican president be your next president? Do you think that the current uh, normalization that is ongoing might be impacted? It it might be to some extent, but what's happened is that the it's ramped up so quickly that I think even for a Republican president, it will be difficult uh, to make much of a change. There's really a bit too much momentum from American businesses uh, and and the American public uh, to really go backwards on it. So my guess is that the rate of change might slow down, but I don't expect there would be a wholesale reversal. How is it the situation changing now that businesses are maybe starting to to invest there? Uh, Is the, well, those uh, old American cars disappear and the, feeling the the atmosphere of Cuba change a lot? Do you think it will be uh, Americanized a lot? Well, I think the changes are fairly slow. Um, You know, one of the things that's happened in Cuba is that 
uh, all of you Europeans got the word that Americans were starting to come to Cuba. And especially the English and the Germans got the word, you'd better get to Cuba now before the Americans screw it up. And so the country is actually packed full of European tourists. Uh-huh. Uh, there's there's really no investment yet because Cuba doesn't permit actual foreign investment. Uh, my understanding of it is, for example, the hotels, which are a real problem right now because everything is sold out and the prices have escalated dramatically. But my understanding is that Cuba still owns all the hotels, including the new ones that are being built. But then they have contracts with with foreign companies such as uh, Spanish companies or Chinese companies to operate the hotels. Uh, but ownership is still Cuban government. Um, in terms of the cars, of course, there are, you know, there are brand new Mercedes and Audis and Peugeots, you know, in, uh, in Cuba. Uh, what you see, of course, in the photographs are the old American cars, but there are quite a few new cars as well. A lot of Russian cars, mm-hmm. a lot of Toyotas as well. Um, so, uh, but I, so the change has already has, has gone on, but I don't think, uh, for example, you're not going to see a lot of new American cars going in there for probably a number of years. So it's mostly due to the Europeans, as you were. It's our fault. <laughs> we are well, scared of the Americans. <laughs> in terms of the crowds, just in the last year, uh, Cuba's become much more crowded. And like I say, the there's a limited amount of infrastructure. There's a limited rate at which the country can change because there simply isn't an economy uh, to quickly build hotels and so forth. So uh, that's limiting the amount of travel. It's limiting the rate of change as well. So let's talk a bit about photography and about your your workshops there in more in particular. Um, uh, how are your workshops organized? How long do they last? Uh, and uh, what, what kind of uh, places do you visit? What kind of photography do you pursue when you're there? Yeah, uh, our workshops are really primarily aimed at street photography because that's what I do. Uh, We take 10 people at a time. We're going there for nine days, roughly. We spend five of those days in Havana, uh, primarily in Habana Vieja, which is old Havana and uh, central Havana, um, which is, you know, the most spectacular urban street photography, maybe on the planet. I don't know, but I love it there. Uh, and then, but we also want to get a view of more of Cuba. So we'll spend two days going to far western Cuba, to a town, uh, a farming town called Vinales, uh, and then we'll go to the southern shore of Cuba to the city of Trinidad, and spend two days there as well, two nights there as well. So we try and get a flavor of the country as well as just doing street photography. Um, now. Coming up, I'm going to be doing at least one workshop in the next 12 months that's Havana only for people who who want to just do the street, the urban street photography uh, and the portraits and aren't really interested in the countryside. And, you know, which is a little, we do a little more touring, if you will. We're on a bus. We spend a number of hours on a bus going from town to town. So people who don't want to do that and want to just do a, a four-day workshop, we're going to do that as well. So it's mostly urban and maybe a bit of the countryside, but um, as I guess Cuba offers has a lot to offer also in terms of nature if somebody is after uh, landscapes and tropical beaches and, and the like. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Nature-wise, there's not a lot in terms of creatures. Uh, there are no large animals in Cuba. Uh, the birds are not as spectacular as you might find in Central America, for example. Certainly not as, as, as exotic as Africa. Uh, but Cuba is really, for people, it's really interesting. I get there and I take new students and the first thing they want to do is photograph the cars. So I let people get that out of their system. Then they want to photograph the old crumbling buildings and I let them get that out of their system. And hopefully after a couple of days, they realize that the real magic of Cuba is the Cuban people. And that's why I try and nudge people towards really doing portraits of not just portraits, but candids and portraits of, of people in Cuba. And that's really what the most rewarding things are. And at the, the end of the week, by the time I look at what people are shooting, almost everybody's shooting people and interacting with the Cubans on the street. And that's not only old ladies smoking cigars. And- no, no, no. <laughs> that one woman, there's one woman in each town who gets one CUC, which is roughly one U.S. dollar for every photograph. And I think she must be very wealthy at this point. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a touristy attraction. Mm-hmm. So what... In general, aside from Cuba, when you visit a foreign country or a place that you've never been before, are you more uh, looking to to photograph the people, the the landscape, the architecture, the food, nature? Well, since I've really become more or less dedicated to street photography, um, you know, and I've gotten away from other genres like that. You know, I just listened to Deborah Sandridge's interview Mm -hmm. on your show, for example. And Deb and I could not be more different. You know, I am committed to having no tripod, maybe having only one camera and only one lens. Um, But I'm, you know, and the idea of getting up early to shoot long long exposures for me is just completely impossible these days. Uh, So for me, uh, you know, even when I go to another city, I'm primarily looking for those street scenes. And that can be, you know, I'll start in a new city doing street candidates because it takes me time to really understand a space. You know, I want to get into a location. I want to get to the point where I feel I'm becoming part of the street environment. Uh, I want to get comfortable there. I want people around me to be comfortable with my being there. And then over time, hopefully I get to spend enough time in a, a city, um, I will interact with the people, even if I don't speak the language. So I'm there primarily to photograph the people either in candid situations uh, or in some cases, street portraits. That's really what I'm focusing on. I, 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 for example, I've got this trip coming up to Europe uh, in five days from now. In fact, this is a trip with my wife. It's not really a photography specific trip. Um, I'll be having, I'll have a camera with me. Um, but I certainly don't usually shoot the iconic things. I'm going to Paris. I will probably not take a single picture of the Eiffel Tower. Um, oh, maybe I will, but you know, I'm more interested in the people in front of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. The, what you just said made me think about, uh, my experience, uh, this, this past weekend I was in Rome where I had the pleasure to meet to, to person that you, you probably know very well, Valerie Jardin and, uh, Karen Hutton. I know them both. Who are, yeah, who are, who are both in Rome. And you couldn't think of two 
persons that are more different when they're shooting. Like we were in front of the Colosseum at sunset and Karen was all waiting for the right light and pretty clouds in the sky to get the great vista of the Colosseum. And on the same street, just Valerie was uh, uh, turning the opposite direction because there was a, a row of uh, red porta potties on the street. And she was waiting for a person with the right shirt color to go in front of those and shoot that. <laughs> yeah, see, I've gone, my photography has gone from Karen's style to Valerie's style. Yeah. And, I, you know, you talk about travel and travel photography. What cured me was going to Iceland a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the fact that there's, I saw this marvelous list of the 10 most important things for a landscape photographer. And they were, you know, have a, a spare camera, have waterproof clothes, have a sturdy tripod, get up early, have a good, strong backpack. And and now that I'm doing street photography, every single one of those items is the thing to avoid. <laughs> so, you know, when I go, I want to travel as light as possible. I don't take a tripod. I don't take a backpack. You know, if the weather gets too bad, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find a place to have a latte. You know, that's, <laughs> that's what's become important to me. So uh, similar to the Karen and Valerie's story, you know, I will always work with the light I have. Um, I, you know, I'm always seeking good light. I want to find interesting light, but I'm not going to stand in one place and wait for the perfect sunset. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's not my style any longer, uh, you know, but I, I still feel that, um, even more so, I think I'm trying to capture the spirit and the soul of a location, but through the people, not so much through the, the sky and the old buildings. Um, I think certainly in cities, it's true that, that people or what tells her, you know, here's another example. When I went to Iceland a year and a half ago, I was with a group. I was with Martin Bailey. You know, you may know Martin. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I was the only street photographer. He had, uh, another 10 or 12 landscape photographers. And, you know, we would go out into the beautiful parts of Iceland with the waterfalls and the geysers, and they would be all excited for me. The best was going into the streets of Reykjavik and shooting the people. And, but I would go up and talk to people and take their pictures. And the landscape guys were horrified. They said, Doug, how can you do that? How can you just approach people? Well, by the end of our time in Reykjavik, they became my spotters. They kept saying, Oh, over there, Doug, there's a Viking. Or mm-hmm. look over there, Doug, there's another Viking. So, you know, for me, my favorite pictures from Iceland are the marvelous people that I met on the streets of Reykjavik. Great. And uh, you mentioned uh, the, your bag, what is in your bag. And you're all about the gear, just uh, reusing the title of your show. So what, what's in your bag when you travel? And what's your favorite camera lens combination nowadays? Like if you were, were to go to Cuba or you come into Italy in a week or so, what are you bringing? Well, for the last two trips to Cuba, my primary camera has been a Leica Q. It's a camera that I've owned for almost a year. It came out in June of 2015. And it is a marvelous camera. It is a full-frame mirrorless camera with a fixed, non-removable 28-millimeter F1.7 lens. And that is just 
be, fits me like a glove. It is just, it is a marvelous camera. It auto focuses, so it's unusual for Leica, but beautiful lens, beautiful image quality, super nice to use because the controls on it are just terrific. I also took with me on the last two trips a little tiny Sony RX100 Mark IV, uh, and that's because that gives me the equivalent of a 24 to 70 zoom. So if I want to go out to dinner, I don't want to take the cue. I just want to put something in my pocket. Uh, always in my pocket is that Sony RX100. So that's, I call that my 24 to 70 in a pocket. And that's it. That's all I take. I don't have anything longer than 70 millimeter. Um, I don't have anything, any prime lens other than the 28 uh, F17. So the Sony RX100 is already at version four. It's amazing. I'm it losing is. track of all the. It is the three and the four. Three and the four are nearly identical. I sold the three to get the four, but uh, right now I think the three is such a good bargain. Uh, there's not much reason to get the four. But anyway, that's my combination. Now, in five days, I'm going again. I'm certainly taking the Leica Q, and I'm going back and forth. You know, like everybody else. Uh, just the night before the trip, I panic, decide what's going to go in the bag or not. But one of the things I may take is I have the new Sony uh, Alpha A7R Mark II. But what I may take with that is the, the crop sensor, the, the 18 to 200 zoom that you use for the Alpha 6000 and 6300. So instead of a 42 megapixel image on that body, I'm going to get an 18 megapixel image. And it turns out that that, that zoom lens, the 18 to 200 for the small cameras is actually sharper than the 24 to 240 uh, that you can get for the big cameras. So uh, I may take that. We'll see. But at, I'm certainly taking the Q and the little Sony. You get uh, some some cameras to test well for your show. So sometimes maybe you use them when you're traveling. I, I never get them long enough to go for a long trip like this. So when I, when I go, I'm going to Europe for three weeks. And when I do that, uh, I'm pretty much stuck with my own gear. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, sure. I'd love somebody to loan me something really fancy for three weeks. <laughs> Actually, you know, I, one of the reasons that, that Gordon Lang and I now do this show, cause he's a superb reviewer. Uh, and that is that, I really wanted to spend more time doing my own photography with my own gear. So I do relatively few of the tests myself these days. Yeah, I see. Speaking of locations, uh, um, which uh, location that you have uh, have been to, you would like to go back tomorrow if money and time were not an issue? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I always love New York. New York is just such a classic place for street photography again. Um, looking forward to Paris very much. As I said, I'm going twice. I'm going once in five days, but I'm again going in September with Valerie. Um, and that'll be pure photography. My wife's going to be visiting New York and I'm going to go to Paris while she does that. Mm -hmm. So that'll be my, that's, that's one reason I can do this trip and not worry about doing too much photography because I know I'm going back to Paris again in September. Um, places there's some places i really wanted to go that i haven't had a chance to go and most of some of those are in asia yeah, uh, that very, would have been my next question so but you can oh okay i beat you to it i guess <laughs> <laughs> i i really want to go to hong kong um i'm interested in some of the cities in southeast asia um you know everybody talks about going to myanmar whether it's for street photography or for landscape 
Uh, it seems to be the hot destination right now, and I'd mm-hmm. like to check that out. Uh, some of the cities in India I would like to visit. I've never been to India. Um, uh, I'm thinking of going back to Tokyo. I've been to Tokyo. Uh, I love it there, too. A marvelous place for street photography. So um, sort of a, I'm, I'm answering both of your questions, I guess, which is where would I go back to and where would I go in the future? Yeah, exactly. That was uh, you anticipated my question, but that's uh, that's completely fine. Uh, anyway, yeah, and you're coming to Italy, so you're going to Venice. Is that your first time in Venice, or no? I was I was in Venice about five or six years ago, but mm-hmm. when I was there with my wife, she had horrible jet lag and slept through the entire time, so I had to visit Venice by myself. So I promised her I would take her back when she was well rested. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> uh, gonna go back and spend uh, three or four days there, and yeah. uh, she should be wide awake this time. I hope we can meet there. I'll see if I can make that happen. That would be that great. That would be great. So uh, I would like to thank you for being my guest today. Is there anything else you would like to to mention before we close this conversation? No, I just mentioned that uh, uh, I am putting together the itineraries for my next three workshops in Cuba. Uh, one will be in November. I think that will probably probably be Havana only, a four-day workshop. And then in January uh, and March of 2017, I'll do the full 10-day or 9-day workshop. Uh, don't have the dates set yet, and it's hard. We haven't pinned down the costs because the hotel stuff in Havana is so tricky right now. But we should have that very soon. And for information for that, go to DougK.com, K-A-Y-E. And um, there you'll be able to track down all the information you need about those workshops. And right now we're where people are signing up saying that they want to be interested and we put them on the list and keep them in order of priority. Yeah, we'll put links uh, to to your site on the show notes so people can go there and find more about you. All right, very good. And of course, come listen to All About the Gear. Always fun. Yeah, that's a a great show. uh, It's on my list of subscriptions. Always interesting to to listen to it. So, yeah, thanks again for being with us today and uh, all the best for your trips. And let's see in Venice soon. Okay, Hugo, thanks very much. It was great to talk to you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.